Thank you for singing those songs with enthusiasm. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we've been working through um, devotional disciplines, habits of righteousness, back to basics, things that all Christians can do. Young Christians, old Christians, single Christians, married Christians, even as you're going to hear today, pastors, missionaries have to work at these things. And it's sort of like changing the oil in your car. Wouldn't it be nice if you could change the oil in your car one time and never have to do it again? Either you do it yourself, which can be a labor, or if you pay someone else to do it, it just seems to be getting more and more expensive. But it's just a hassle. Now, if you enjoy changing oil, would you let me know? Because I've got three cars, and it seems like every other month I'm taking a car in to get the oil changed. But let me tell you, if you never change the oil in your internal combustion engine car, you will have problems. It's such a simple thing. But it's got to be done regularly. And these are these back to the basics, these habits of righteousness. We just need to be reminded of them, check our own lives, examine our own lives and see if we are doing them where we are. Be encouraged. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Resolve, as Scotty reminded us, resolve to keep doing those things. And where you take a look at your life and you see, ooh, I'm not really doing that. Um, Lord, help me. Every one of these devotional disciplines takes God's grace. None of them is, I don't do any of these devotional disciplines because I'm a really great guy. Because I've really been trained well and I just, I've got it all figured out. No, I need the grace of God and you need the grace of God to do these devotional disciplines. But I can guarantee you, God has all the grace you need and more to do his will. So just keep that in mind as we go through these devotional disciplines. Now, four weeks ago now, we started this, and do you remember the first devotional discipline? Prayer. Right. Prayer is the first devotional discipline, and I hope you've been working at that. Again, just like changing the oil in your car, you probably noticed some days where your time was cut short, something came up, or maybe you just blew it and you got up late or you stayed up late and you missed your opportunity to pray. Don't be discouraged. That happens. Next day, get up, say, Lord, I'm going to set aside that time, whether it's morning or afternoon or night for you and take time to pray. Good. That was prayer. What was the second devotional discipline? Meditation. Meditation. Whether you memorize and meditate, whether you write it out and and keep looking at it throughout the day, meditating on God's word. And Scotty's right. Another great form of meditation is singing these songs that we sing that remind us of God's truth. Uh, I know, for me, if I can set some words to a tune, I remember them much better. The uh, song that we sang this morning for our course of the month, These Things I Have Spoken Unto You, I remember singing that song back in first or second grade somewhere. Uh, well, I know exactly what it was. It was in, it was in uh, Redwood Valley, California. But I remember singing those songs in my, in my uh, elementary school class, and it's just stuck with me all my life. And it's a tremendous encouragement when things go wrong to remember that in this world we will have tribulation, but we can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. So we can meditate on 
verses. We can meditate on songs that express the truths of God's word. And everyone meditates. Everyone meditates. Some of you have been meditating a lot about Major League Baseball playoffs. Some of you have been meditating a lot about college football or NFL or your fantasy football league. Now, none of that's necessarily evil, but I would encourage you to consider what are you meditating on? God, uh, the psalmist said to God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. And if God, God knows, I say if God, if God knows what we meditate on, what does God think of your meditation? So that was the second one. Today, we're going to talk about the discipline of giving. And this discipline uh, of giving, let me give you a, a definition here. Here's the previous disciplines, prayer, meditation, this discipline of giving that we're going to look at today, it's simply the realization that God accomplishes his work on earth through my financial discipline and obedience. If we're going to send missionaries overseas, it's going to take us giving, isn't it? If we're going to turn on the lights, it's going to take us giving. Wouldn't it be nice if PG&E gave us all the electricity we wanted for free? Wouldn't it be nice if we'd go down to Sam's Club? Our church shops, Cindy does the shopping. Cindy goes down to Sam's Club and says, hey, I'm with Elmira Baptist Church. They say, just load your card up. Don't care. We don't want to see it again. Just take it. No, we have to pay for these things. And where does that money come from? Well, as a pastor, I wish that I could pray and go into my office and open up the secret drawer and find cash in that drawer. But that's not the way it works. If there's going to be cash to pay for these things, it's going to be because God's people give. And so this discipline of giving is just me realizing as a Christian, if God wants Elmira Baptist Church and its ministry to go forward, he's going to accomplish it through my financial discipline and through my obedience. And secondly, second part of this is this discipline submits all of my finances to God's plan. Not just the part I give to him and then I can do whatever I want with what remains. No, all of my spending. I should be asking God, how do you want me to spend my money? Now, talking about money can be difficult. Number one, I know many of you are thinking, yep, I knew it. I knew it. This church just wants my money. Now, I can tell you right now, if you are not a member here at Elmira Baptist Church, I don't want your money. I don't. I want you to find a church where you can serve, become a member there, and give your money there. I do. Because somewhere in this town, there's a church where you can serve and where you can give. But all of us as Christians are called to be a help to a church. We're going to talk more about this. But the second reason talking about money is, is hard um, is because it's measurable. You know, if I ask you how much you meditate, well, how would you answer that question? How much do you pray? Well, you could give me a number of minutes, but the truth is, you can spend an hour in prayer and not really spend an hour in prayer. You know what I mean? But it's hard when you are asked to give money, you either give or you don't. You can't say, well, I give. How much? I mean, some. Well, how much? I mean, that's measurable. And so it makes it awkward. But trust me, God wants us to discipline ourselves and to give to his work. We call it a personal relationship, don't we? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ will motivate our giving. We're going to get there in a second. And notice it's a purse and all relationship. Personal relationship isn't just what I think about, just what I do. It's what I give and how I spend my money. 
Now, I want to tell you right up front that there's some things giving does not do for you. In our American society, we've got this idea sometimes that if I give enough money that somehow God will owe me something. And I want to assure you right off the bat that giving money to God will not cause him to owe you anything. Because he gave the money to you to begin with. So giving to God doesn't earn you a place in heaven. God doesn't need your money. Now to tell you, to hammer this point home, let me tell you a humorous story. This is just a made up story, but... There was this one fellow who was really burdened because he heard you could not take anything to heaven with you when you die. He was really burdened by that because he had accumulated a lot of stuff. And so he prayed and he said, Lord, when I go to heaven, let me bring one suitcase. So the Lord said, okay, you go ahead, you bring one suitcase, whatever you want, you fill the suitcase, you bring it to heaven. So you know what the man did? He thought, you know, the most valuable thing that I have that I can fill this suitcase with is gold. So he had all his gold that he had melted down and all his money was exchanged for gold. He had it all melted down until it filled his suitcase. And when he died, he found himself, and this is not a biblical story, okay? He found himself at the pearly gates there next to St. Peter. And guess what he had in his hands? A suitcase full of gold. Well, this is really odd because most people who show up at heaven, they don't have anything with them. And so St. Peter said, well, what do you got in your suitcase? The guy was so excited. He said, you know, God gave me a special dispensation to bring the suitcase to heaven. He opened up a suitcase full of gold. And Peter said, why did you bring pavement to heaven? We've got plenty. It coats the streets here. The truth is God doesn't need our money. Giving to God won't get you to heaven It won't make God happier with you as if he's upset with you. And if you just give him enough, he'll be happy. That's not what giving to God uh, does for us. Giving to God won't make you wealthier. Sometimes people are told it's seed money. You put in a dollar and God gives you a hundred dollars. That's a lie. You may put in a dollar and never get anything back. Why did you put in the dollar? Is it about God or is it about you? So disciplined giving isn't going, to, isn't going to make you rich. It's not going to make you healthy. That's, that's not it at all. I want you to look with me in first, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 for some principles of disciplined giving. And the first principle of disciplined giving that we're going to look at is that we give out of a heart filled with love for God. Now to see that, we're going to need to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look with me at verse 8. Paul is speaking to this church in Corinth. He's writing to them, and the Holy Spirit is leading him to the exact words he's to say, and this is what God says to this church. I speak not by commandment. In other words, I'm not telling you to give because I'm just commanding you to give. But by occasion of the forwardness of others, and, here's the second reason, to prove the sincerity of your love. He says, listen, this is why I'm asking you to give. I want you to prove the sincerity of your love. That was 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, the last phrase there. Now, let me ask you the question. Who was it that the Corinthians loved? Was it Paul? Well, they probably did love Paul, but that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying, you love me, so make sure you give money. What is Paul saying? You love God. So give your money to God. Have you ever noticed that it's a lot easier to spend money on someone that you love? 
my family and I, we're getting ready to take a vacation. In fact, you might probably notice my daughter, my son's here with us today. We're getting ready to take a vacation. You know what I don't do when we're on vacation? I don't say to my family, you know, that's too expensive. We're not going to do that. Now, we do have a plan, and I think there are some things they could suggest that I would have to say, you know, that's too expensive. We're not going to do that. So don't get any ideas, Mike. But the truth is, we've got some money set aside, and we are looking forward to spending this money to enjoy our time together. We love each other. This is, this is what it's for. Now, money doesn't make us happy, and money doesn't make us love each other more, but it's sure, certainly easier to spend money on someone you love. When my wife comes to me and she says, you know, there's this project of the house. We really need to get it done. I do have to take money into consideration. And so I'll start to save, and it seems like invariably... There's a car uh, repair or another uh, accident, and, and that money disappears. But I'm saving that money, not grudgingly, oh, I can't believe my wife wants this done. I'm excited that I might be able to spend some money on a project at the house that my wife wants to accomplish. Why? Because I love my wife. Your kids. Hopefully, you don't grudgingly spend money on your kids. I can tell you, Sarah doesn't go to the store and buy Emily an outfit thinking, boy, I hate this. I wish I didn't have to buy my daughter clothes. You enjoy it. Why? Because you love your children. And I tell you, when you love God, giving to God is much easier. We're going to get to the point here, the verse here um, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the key to cheerful giving. You've got to love God first. You've got to love God first. If you don't love God, it's going to be really hard to give cheerfully. Look with me at verse 24, same chapter. Chapter 8, verse 24. Wherefore, show ye to them, these are to the other churches, and before the churches, the proof of your love. Show them the proof of your love by taking this offering. These other churches, all of them were gathering money. By the way, in this case, the money was going to go to churches where there was a, was a, was a famine, there was a drought, there were providing some material um, uh, help to them. And he said, we're going to collect this money. You kept talking about it. Now show the other churches the proof of your love for God by your giving. So the first principle of this, of disciplined giving, is that we give out of a heart of love for God. Second principle is that we, excuse me, that cheerful giving is a grace that comes from God. Look with me at, Chapter 8 again, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, that is, we're telling you, we're making you know of the grace of God. Look at verse uh, 6 with me. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Then right on into verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Cheerful giving is a gift from God. It's it's a heart, it's an attitude that God gives us so that we can give cheerfully. Now, every devotional discipline, whether it's prayer or meditation, uh, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about the discipline of Thanksgiving, this discipline of giving, All of these disciplines require God's grace. I don't give cheerfully because I'm super Christian. I don't give cheerfully because I'm pastor. I don't give cheerfully because I was born into a Christian home. I give cheerfully because God gives me grace for cheerful giving. 
some years before I was married, several things happened to me that convinced me that I needed to give God 10% of my income. I said, yep, Lord, I'm going to do that. And when I got married, uh, my wife was already in that discipline of giving 10% to the Lord. I said, hey, we're going to give at least 10% to the Lord. And for 28 years now, we've been giving God 10%. And you know what? It's never been a burden because God gives me grace. He gives my wife grace. There's been times we've looked at our budget and we thought, you know, we could use some more money, but we've never said to each other, let's stop tithing for a while. Just never crossed our minds because God's given us grace. And when you attempt to do God's will in your own strength, you will be frustrated. And if you find giving to be a frustrating experience, I can't believe I've got to give this money and it's so hard. And what am I going to do with my budget? Then let me suggest that the problem is you're not accessing that grace that God wants to give you so that you can give cheerfully. It's like the little boy who's attempting to open a jar, a fresh jar of pickles, whatever it might be, fresh jar for his mother. But he's really too young to be able to do it, right? So he, he's really turning and he's really trying and his hands are getting sore from pressing into the, the lid and he's never going to accomplish it, is he? He's just going to get angrier and angrier until the dad comes along and says, son, let me help you. And he twists that jar, just that, that, the, the lid of that jar just a little bit just to get it started. And all of a sudden, the son can take it right off. Pop! Lid's off. Because he needed his father's help. And in order for me to give cheerfully, in order for you to give cheerfully, we need God's help. Amen. We need his grace. You can see it right there in the passage. Third thing I want you to see about this is that we give according as God directs us. Over now in 2 Corinthians 9, the next chapter, verse 7, says this, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart. We give the amount that God directs us to give. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give. What I mean by this is, I'm not going to come to you and give you a bill. Okay, you're a member here at Elmira Baptist Church. Here is your amount that you ought to give. I'm not going to do that. Um, I want you to decide. I want you to talk to God. I want you to ask God, what do you want me to give? And then I want you to give that amount. Now, I don't know what anybody gives at Elmira Baptist Church except my own giving. And I do that on purpose because I'm always concerned that if I were to know how much you, you gave, you would be worried about me well, maybe pastor doesn't return my calls because I'm not giving. Oh, maybe pastor likes this person better because they give. I, frankly, I don't know. You might not give anything and you may give most of the budget. I really don't know. Now, we do have men, several men in place who oversee what comes in. So they do know what's being given by whom. Um, and I suppose in a pinch, if I had a problem, I could go find out. But I don't know what you give because it doesn't matter to me what you give. It matters to God what you give. And I want you to be convinced about what God wants you to give. Second thing I want to I say here is that you ought to give to the church where you are a member. So let me, let me just say we have some visitors here today. Folks, you've only been here one time. Maybe this is your second time. Maybe this is your third or fourth time. You're not a member here. You're not even sure if you're going to be a member here. If you'll just let me speak to my members for a second. It's not that you can't listen. Go ahead and listen. 
But members, how is the ministry of Elmira Baptist Church going to get done if we don't do it, if we don't provide it? We don't take money from the government. You might remember, what was it called? The Paycheck Protection Program back during uh, the COVID pandemic and, and businesses were encouraged to, to ask the government for a loan and if they spent the loan on certain things, mostly salaries, if I remember, I don't remember all the details, then they could just keep the money. Uh, I met with the men of our church. I said, I, I don't want to do this. They said, we don't want to do this. Now, I'm not against the government giving businesses money if that's what the government wants to do. I'm against the government giving churches money because we believe in the separation of church and state. Government needs to do their job, give unto Caesars the things that belong to Caesar, and the church needs to do its job, and unto God the things that belong to God. So if the ministry of Elmira Baptist Church is going to get done, it's going to be because we as members get it done. Now, second, again, I'm just talking to the members. If you're not a member, just give me a few more minutes here. Second, you remember back in December of last year, December of 2021, as a congregation, we adopted the budget. You knew exactly what we were intending to spend and exactly what you were, we were intending to spend it on. In fact, this is so unfair. You know what my salary is, even though I don't know how much you give. That doesn't bother me at all. Okay, I'm just teasing. I don't care. You, you know how much we spend on the lights and how much we spend on the water. All of that is available to members. Now, if you're thinking, boy, I'm not even a member here. I'm going to ask for their books. No, we're not going to give them to you. <laughs> but as a member, you know we're going to have another meeting here in December, December 4th. We'll have our next meeting. We're going to put the budget out there, and you're going to see how much in 2023 we intend to spend. Now, members, where does that money come from? It comes from me. It comes from you. It comes from the members. So that's why I'm a big proponent of not giving your money to other Christian organizations until you first given 10% to your church where you serve. And again, if you're not a member here, and I'm not asking you for money. I, I'm not. But I'm asking you, if you're a Christian, to find a church where you can be a member and support that church financially. Support that church with your talents and your abilities as well. Which brings me to this fourth point here, a principle of, of, of disciplined giving, and that is we give voluntarily. We give cheerfully. There are organizations that call themselves religious organizations that will send you a bill. I always think that's funny. I, we don't have bills here. We don't take pledges and then remind you of your pledge. From time to time, we've taken pledges, and that's fine. I'm not against that, but we don't come back to you and say, hey, you pledged this amount of money. Where is it? Because we want you to give voluntarily we want you to give cheerfully. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, not because it's a bill to be paid. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, remember I said earlier that God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. But God is pleased when we obey him. I like to think of it this way. Growing up from time to time, my teacher would say, we're going to do an art project for your parents. And sometimes we would make a, we'd color a picture. Sometimes I remember one time we took uh, those Pringles cans, you know, the tubes, and we took uh, uh, yarn and we stretched the yarn around the can until all the yarn covered the can. 
And you know what my parent was, my mom was supposed to use that for? Christmas cards. She was supposed to, to somehow put a Christmas card through that webbing, if you will, and that was supposed to be a Christmas card holder. Can I be frank with you? My mother never used that as a Christmas card holder. <laughs> never used that as a Christmas card holder. In fact, I don't know, but I don't remember ever seeing that object after I gave it to her. <laughs> I was so happy. Mom, look what I made you in. This was second grade. Look what I made you in second grade. And you know what? I can guarantee you my mom had a big smile on her face and said, Scott, thank you so much. And then when I went to bed, she threw it away. <laughs> she didn't need it. It wasn't important to her. But I tell you what was important to her, that I was excited to give her something. You know, when I come to God cheerfully to give him stuff, he doesn't need it. It's not like he's, oh, man, good. We're going to make our budget. No, God doesn't need my money. But he's excited that I'm excited to give it to him. He's glad that I care enough to just say, God, here, this is what you gave, gave to me. Here's part, excuse me, of what you gave to me. And I'm glad, cheerful to give it back to you. If you can't give cheerfully, I'm, again, I'm speaking to the members here at Elmira Baptist Church. If you can't give cheerfully, let me encourage you to pray until you can give cheerfully. Don't, I didn't say don't give. I said you better pray about it until you can give cheerfully. Now, it helps me to remember that everything I have comes from God. So I'm really only giving him back a part of what he's given me. He could ask for it all back. He could ask for 50% back. He doesn't. 10%. Fifth point I want to make about these principles of disciplined giving, and that is that we give our first fruits to God. I'm having trouble with this. Here we go. We can do this. We give our first fruits to God. What, is I, what do I mean by our first fruits? Did you notice in the Verses we read out of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Then verse nine said this, this is Proverbs three, verse nine, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Notice again, with the first fruits of all thine increase. Now, what does it mean to give God the first fruits? Well, let's think about this word picture. It's, it's first fruits means just that, the first fruits that you would harvest. So let's imagine you are a uh, is, Israeli uh, farmer back in the time of Proverbs, and you have some olive trees. And you start ha- harvesting those olives. God says, uh, what I want you to do is I want you to give me 10% of your crop right up front. Now, the question I have in my mind is, well, what exactly, how would you know what 10% would be until you bring in the whole crop, right? Well, you have a pretty good idea. You can look at the trees and you can look at uh, how many olives are on them and you can make a pretty good estimate. In fact, maybe you have 20 trees, so you say, God, I'm going to give you the first two trees. Now, if you're a good American, you go find the scrawniest trees. God always gets the scrawny trees. But if you're a cheerful giver, you find the best trees. And you say, God, I'm going to give you these two out of ten trees, and I'm going to give that to you first. Let me make application to today, because unless I'm mistaken, none of you have any olive trees. Somebody might. There are a few in the area, but most of you probably don't have olive trees. I give God 10% of my gross income. Now, if you look at your paycheck stub, you know there's a big difference between gross and net. But I figure God gave me all of it. 
I can at least give 10% back to him. And I give it to him first. I don't say, okay, uh, here's my budget. Let me pay my mortgage or rent. And let me pay PG&E. And let me pay my water bill. And let me pay my uh, trash bill. And let me pay my internet bill. And let me pay my mobile phone bill. And then when I get to the end, okay, here's what's left. I'll give that to the Lord. God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants the first fruits. So we budget. My wife and I do. We say, okay, we have this much for uh, mortgage, we have this much for PG&E, we have this much for tithe, and we give the tithe first. You say, do you ever run out of money at the end of the month? You know, I never have. I, I just never have. You say, what would you do if you did? Well, I would give my tithe the next month, just like I'd done the month before. I might come ask you for money. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'd leave off a bill, not pay PG&E or something. I don't know. How long can you go without paying your PG&E bill before they cut you off? But I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to start by cutting out the tithe. I'm going to give my first fruits to the Lord. And as I said, I've done this now for decades, even before I was married. And the Lord has never disappointed me. Never. Now, there have been times when money was tight. There were times when we had to cut some things out of our budget to figure it out. But the Lord has never disappointed me. I thought about telling you a bunch of stories, uh, not stories, true events that happened in my life, but it can get, trust me, God's grace is sufficient for you to be a cheerful giver. And if you'll give to the Lord what he asks, the first fruits of all your increase, you will never be disappointed. So I, only, I know I only have a few minutes, but let me give you a couple basic, uh, or excuse me, some benefits of uh, principled giving. The first benefit we get from principled giving is growing our faith. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And first fruit giving requires faith. It requires faith that God isn't going to leave you without the money that you need. Now, if you just give him the leftovers, that's different. Because you, all, you got everything you needed, and then you just give him what's left over. I'm not talking about leftover giving. When you give God the first fruits, there are times when you're going to give God your, the 10% he asks you, or maybe more. And then you're going to look at what's left and you're going to think that's not going to cover it. But you know what faith does? Faith convinces you that God can do more with the 90% than you can do with 100%. God can do more with the 90% that's left or 87% or whatever it is for you. More with that percentage than you can do with 100%. That's how your faith grows. And again, I'm asking you to give as the Lord leads you. Not as I lead you, not as your neighbor gives. I don't need you to go to Roger and ask Roger what his giving is. And okay, I'm going to do what Roger does. It's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to give as the Lord lays on your heart. If you'll do that, you'll see that God is faithful and it'll grow your faith. The second benefit of this principled giving is that it helps me to avoid covetousness. We like to think that money is the answer to all our problems, don't we? I was just talking to someone recently about a church, and, and not our church, not Elmira Baptist Church, another church, and they just said, you know, the church always wants to throw more money at the problem. You know what I wanted to say was, boy, I want that church's finances. <laughs> they actually saw it as a problem because people weren't willing to give of their time, weren't willing to give of themselves, weren't willing to give of their talents. They just wanted to give money. 
And sometimes as Americans, we can think, be tempted to think that all my problems can be solved with more money. If all my problems could be solved with more money, then wouldn't lottery winners be the most content people on the earth? I mean, they've won a million dollars. What could possibly go wrong? Well, we know that money doesn't actually bring us contentment. Paul says, for I have learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Notice that I have learned. It's something you work at. And one of the ways you work at it is if you'll give to God the 10% that he asks of you. And again, speaking to members here, okay, if you give God that 10% that he asks of you, plus give the extra that he lays on your heart. Give to missions. Give to the poor. Give to other causes that you agree with. If you'll give that, then you know what God gives you in return? He gives you contentment. You'll see that all your needs, the things you absolutely have to have, they are provided for. So it helps us to avoid covetousness. And third, you can receive God's blessing. You can receive God's blessing. When you don't give, when you don't give, then I have observed that God often allows your money to be taken away from you in other ways. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. I think you'll see this for yourself in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you just work your way to the left through your New Testament, you'll get back to Mark, second book of the New Testament, Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Malachi is a really short book. You might miss it. But look with me at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 9. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 9. And I'm going to read to you from Malachi verses Uh, Chapter 3, verses 9, 10, and 11. Malachi 3, 9 says this, Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes, that's a tenth, bring ye all the tenths into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast your fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. You see the the, uh, um, consequence that God puts there? If you don't do this, if you rob me, if you won't give that tenth that I ask of you, I'm going to allow the devourer to destroy your crops. When we were in Mongolia, it was sort of odd. Uh, this only happened to me one time when we were in Mongolia. I had a church that supported us reach out, and, and they said, we want to know two things. Number one, are you giving a tenth of your income to a church? And number two, we want to know what church you're giving it to. Now, seeing that they were providing some of that income, I figured, you know, I can be transparent with them. So I told them, we give 10% of our income to Westgate Baptist Church. That was our sending church in Oregon. And then on top of that, 10%, my family and I, we were giving uh, another percentage to the um, Mongolian church where we were serving. If you want to know exactly why I made that choice, you come talk to me. We can discuss it. But we're giving 10% to Westgate Baptist Church. And so I wrote to them and I said, this is what we give to Westgate Baptist Church, 10%. Uh, This is what we give to our Mongolian church where we serve. And uh, I was curious. So if I remember right, I, I basically said, so why are you asking And they said, because we have found out many of our missionaries are not tithing anywhere, not giving their money anywhere. And it's hurting their own finances. 
And as I have observed other Christians uh, since that time, they're on the mission field in Mongolia, pastors. You know, pastors who don't tithe often find they don't have much money. Cars break down and houses have repairs and people get sick and it just seems like your money gets frittered away on all these things. Now, I, I don't know what God's doing in my life. So I, I, I don't misunderstand me what, what I'm about to say. But since I've come to uh, uh, California, I've only had, if I remember right, one major car repair. Now, who has three cars, four years, and only one major car repair? You say, who's your mechanic? God. Uh, seriously, I could have had four or five or six major repairs. I've could have had, I drive some older cars. They could have just died and been left by the side of the road. In fact, my neighbor two doors down, he just left his car by there and he moved away. I feel bad for the landlord. I could have a car like that. But I'm, I'm telling you, if you'll honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruits of all your increase, then he says your barns will burst out. And you'll receive God's blessings. Now, again, don't give to get. <laughs> okay, don't misunderstand me. Please, don't give to get. Give because you love God. And in giving because you love God, you will see that he returns it back to you. Not necessarily with more money, not with more cars, not with a bigger house, not with a better job, but he'll give back to you. And I've seen this over and over in my life. I've seen this in lives of my friends, fellow missionaries, fellow pastors, when they got serious and they said, God, I love you. I'm going to give you what you ask. God's always blessed them. So I've been giving you homework from week to week, and I appreciate Jeff in particular taking this homework seriously. Here's your homework for this week. I want you to spend some time in prayer asking what God wants you to give. Ask him what he wants you to give. Because again, I'm not here to tell you. I'm not here to give you a bill. I'm not here to examine your finances and say, you need to give this. Maybe some of you have been giving 10% from your net, and God says, no, I want 10% of your gross income. You, you talk to God about that. Don't talk to me. Maybe some of you haven't been giving at all. Or you've only been giving the leftovers. And God says, no, no, I want your first fruits. But seriously, pray and ask what God would have you to give. And remember that verse, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. That's your homework this week. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to gather and sing your praises. You are so good to us. Father, time and again, I've seen you provide for my financial needs in ways that are unexpected and, frankly, unexplainable outside your providence. Father, I've seen you provide for my parents. I've seen you provide for my friends, for fellow missionaries, for fellow pastors, as we'll just be serious and develop this discipline of giving and give to you because we love you. Father, I pray you'd give grace to our visitors today that they would understand it's not about money here at Elmira Baptist Church. And I pray you give grace to my fellow members that we would understand we've committed ourselves to doing your work, and it's only through our giving that that work can be accomplished. I pray for anyone who's here this morning, they don't have a personal relationship with you. They think of religion as something to do some list of tasks, and I pray that they would not be confused by this morning's sermon. I lift up all this to you and our finances, both as individuals and as a church. I lift all this up to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Scotty's